You are now watching C-SPAN, the Judiciary Confirmation Hearing for Amy Coney Barrett. First of all, I would like to thank the panel for allowing me this opportunity and of course, President Trump for all the graciousness that he and his family has shown me. I think that before I immediately become an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court, it might be helpful for you guys to understand a little bit about my blended family. So here goes. My daughter, Emma, is 19. She's probably going to be a lawyer or a judge, and if I have my way with it, she's going to be an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. My next oldest daughter, Vivian, is not as smart as the other daughters. I mean, after all, she is black. I mean, she's technically Haitian, so I don't know if that necessarily counts, but I'll tell you this. She has the widest smile I've ever seen, and she can out deadlift anybody else in her weight class. And boy, you should see how she picks cotton. Woo! It's great. Next up, we have my other daughter, Tess. Tess is going to be a New York Times bestseller. I, I tell you, don't you know, you already can tell the way that she formulates her thoughts and opinions. She's very opinionated, very intelligent, highly capable, great aptitude. I mean, just amazing. Then we've got uh, Jean-Peter. And Jean-Peter, you know, he's you know, likable guy, uh, pretty happy-go-lucky. Uh, and, you know, we love that about him. You know, nothing's going to get him down. We know that he's going to be singing and dancing and, you know, doing everything that we want him to do. And we love it. We love especially when he's in the middle of our living room and he's tap dancing for us. And we just keep, you know, throwing pennies at him and he keeps tap dancing hard and hard. And we say, oh, you go, Jean, you go. Next, we have Liam my little bundle of joy. And Liam has the distinction of being the valedictorian of his elementary school. He's well on his way to being a Rhodes Scholar like myself, or maybe he'll decide to actually go to Harvard. Good job, Liam. Following Liam, we have Juliet. She also is a writer, but she's going to be the next Agatha Christie. I can feel it because she's so intellectually sound. She's so smart. She's so brilliant. And I can't wait to see when her books sell like quadruple, quadruple platinum. Lastly, we have Benjamin, who couldn't be with us tonight. Benjamin is at home. Uh, hanging out with friends, uh, or as he calls it, doing something much more fun. <laughs> um, and what we're hoping is that he's just protecting the house in case uh, Vivian or Jean-Peter get home a little earlier than us, and we want to make sure that uh, they're not breaking in and stealing anything. But, you know, other than that, you know, my family is great, and I couldn't have done it without my husband, Jesse, who's really the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in the whole entire world. Thank you so much.
What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brothers in Law podcast. As always, this is your boy Jesse McCoy, and I am joined by the world's foremost leading legal humorist, Sean Carter. How are you doing? I'm doing better than the Trumps. Uh, in the world, Cardi B. Coronavirus. I'm telling you, shit is real. Shit is getting real. Woo! Bitch, I'm scared. <laughs> Uh, you probably got to add some names to that list. It's, it's not Jesse, when, when the announcement first came out last Thursday night or so, did you at first believe it? Oh, I believed it the whole time. I believed it even before they announced it. I believed it. <laughs> <laughs> he had been trying to get it. I'd never seen nobody try to get it so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely believed it. Um, I, it's funny because in my household, my, my wife didn't believe it at all. I think she still is trying to figure out whether or not it's true, but I was like, no, you know, just wait, we're just waiting on the shoe to drop. And once one domino falls, it's all going to crumble. And sure enough, that same day, Hope Hicks, <laughs> comes out and Hope Hicks got it. And I was like, oh, she spent a lot of time with the president. Then it's everybody at the Rose Garden party. <laughs> then it's everybody who's seen him. Then it's Stephen Miller. And, you know, a part of me, you know, feels like good for you, right? <laughs> good for you. <laughs> you don't want to wear a mask. You want to hang around, Trump. I hope y'all got that good, pure Colombian raw viral load too. I know. <laughs> Somebody in there was blind. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, and then when he went to Walter Reed, it was just it's hilarious because even though you know Trump is naturally sloppy. Like he was extra sloppy on the on the way to Walter Reed. So I was like, oh yeah. Right tie on there. You know, the thing that, that people I think can understand, and I, and I get it. It's like Trump's a liar. Why would I believe him? And here's the difference mm-hmm. here. There are lies and there are admissions. Mm-hmm. And you know, think of it from hearsay standpoint. We don't accept hearsay evidence, he says, she said, unless it's an admission against interest. So in other words, we won't believe you if you say, hey, so-and-so said he's the greatest boxer in the world. We're not going to believe he's the greatest boxer in the world. But right. if you say so-and-so told me he killed Kennedy, we, we, we got to take that into consideration. All right. <laughs> normally, people don't admit bad stuff. And so that's mm-hmm. what I'm like. Trump is, you understand, he's a liar. But he's not going to lie on himself about bad stuff. Mm-hmm. He's going to lie on himself about good stuff. I did this. I, you know, I think I had the greatest economy, et cetera. But he's not gonna lie. I guess the best example is if you got ladies, if you got a man who's a cheater, if he says he didn't sleep with the woman, he might be lying. But I promise you, I promise you, if he tells you, <laughs> yep, I slept with Sheila, uh, he slept with Sheila a lot. <laughs> he actually likes Sheila better than you, which is why he's telling you that. All right. He really hopes you leave so Sheila can move in. <laughs> He ain't going to ever, ever, ever make up somebody that he wasn't sleeping with to be in trouble. Who would do that? That's dumb. Right, right, right. And Trump had been telling people all this time about how he's so bad, big and bad. Ain't no way in the world he was going to tell his base, oops, my bad, unless he had to. Right? He got caught. Mm-hmm. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not my cheating, but this time, uh, well, you know, Troy, trying to cheat the laws of nature, I guess. Trying to treat, treat germ theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and it looks like he's going to, as of this recording, um, is going to survive. Um, and that's because of all my prayers for him. 
<laughs> Are you saying something? You think about it, you know, if you come for the king, don't miss. The, the virus kind of missed. Right? I got to be like, all oh, Trump, I was with you all the time, brother. I had your back. <laughs> you know, well, this, this is what always bothered me about it. So my thing is this. It was two points. One. We know that as president, you're going to have access to top-notch medical facilities. Right. So anything that might kill a regular person is, <laughs> is going to have to work extra hard to get you because you're going to have Walter Reed. You're going to have everything. You got White House medical staff. Um, you, you're going to be straight. Right. The second part of that, though, is y'all do realize that he is actively trying to take away what little health care, you know, our self care that you have. And he's going to all these events with no masks. They're having parties in here. You know he huffed and puffed and probably drools. So it's, he's got droplets going every which way. And then on top of that, second point is the people who you always think, like I always imagine if I had, God forbid, some kind of highly contagious infectious disease, um, the last people who I want to be around me is going to be people I care about. Right. right. My family, my friends, coworkers, I actually like like those people. I'm going to stay far, far away from because I don't want you to get what right. I got. But Trump is yes. going into the White House with his his wife. <laughs> he's going in with his staffers. He's going in with the, the cabinet. He's going in with new Supreme Court justice selections. Ah. He's everybody. And then and then has the nerve to get mad at the commission on presidential debates because they asked him to do a virtual Zoom debate. And he's like, no, I want to be there to personally infect Joe Biden. <laughs> personally infect yeah, whoever part, I want. And no, no, apparently Trump is thinking about this, you know, and, and almost, I got to almost give it to him because he's exactly right. He's like, look, you know, I didn't already made it. All right. Let him mm -hmm. get it. Let's see who bad. Now, are you being like Corona e Corona, right? And, and he's like, you know, I will blow in his mouth the whole time. Plus, Trump is <laughs> playing on TV. If you do the Zoom thing, they can cut my mic off. Exactly. Now, here's the weird part is, couldn't they cut off his mic off anyway? I mean, they could, but I think it's in bad form. The, the media right. is going to look bad. Um, I, I was surprised because he was being extra belligerent with Fox News, and I'm like, uh, he does know he got home court advantage. <laughs> you gonna sabotage that? Well, you know, I, that's why I try to explain to people. I, I wrote this a long time ago. Everyone's like, oh, man, I want to see Trump in the debate. I remember it was first against uh, against uh, Elizabeth Warren. After which get to uh, to 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 what is his name, um, the billionaire guy, and I was like, mm -hmm. y'all don't understand, Trump, you came. The, you can't beat Trump in a debate any more than you can beat me in sword fighting. <laughs> now, I've never done sword fighting. I don't even know right. what you hold. I assume you don't hold the pointy end, but who knows? I don't <laughs> worry about that, I promise you, I'm undefeated as a sword fighter. I will never lose a sword fight. And here's why. Because I'm going to shoot you if you try to hit me. Give me <laughs> That's what Trump does. He's like, I can't beat you in a debate. I'm stupid. But right. I can come up here and yell some stuff, right? And let, let you talk. And so Trump is never going to debate anybody. I don't know why you'd even bother, right? He's not going to debate. He's not going to answer the questions. you. And, and you see how it rubbed off on Pence. Pence in that debate with, with, with Kamala, answering the last question that was asked, asking mm -hmm. her questions, doing everything he could. But what he was supposed to do, 
which was, you know, due to the debate, because he realized the best way to, to not lose a debate is to not debate. Oh, man. I don't know. I thought, I think Pence got the floor mop with him. Because uh, first off, uh, the optics already, this is the first time that I felt like the optics were in favor of minority groups because you got a black woman across. So you can't, you you better not raise your voice, right? Because we, we're going to see that. You better not be demeaning and condescending, which he did anyway, because uh, we're going to see that. And it's in prime time. It ain't nothing else on TV. It's just you. Even LeBron and them had that night off. It's just, it's just you. And so he came out. There, there's that. And then on top of that, like, there's one thing to debate a black woman. There's nothing to debate a highly intelligent black woman. And he was not going. She had facts. She she had statistics. She has. And the only thing for her, she was trying to make sure that she didn't cross that threshold where you become the angry black woman right. uh, or, or a, a trope of what black women are supposed to be. She held it together, but she still made sure that she got her zings in. To be like, I'm talking. He, he, like this is why I'm talking. I'm talking. Um, and I think she did a a terrific job because at the end of the night, when I finished watching with my family, my son was like, This was boring. And I was like, see, that's what it's supposed to be. Right. It's supposed to be boring. Right. And, um, and I'm not saying I don't think she lost the debate at all, but mm-hmm. She wasn't tearing him up like people were, 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 were you know, were, were speculating beforehand. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not, I think, how it was ever going to work for the reason you mentioned. You know, her job there was to introduce herself to the people in America, right, who have not been paying any attention so far right. and trying to convince them to give her an old white man's job. And you don't do that by rolling your neck and head and going, girl, <laughs> yeah, you. And she did exactly what she was supposed to do. Be very, you know, intelligent, um, you know, um, will be the word for it, reasoned, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, articulate, right? Black, black person. And so I think she did her, her job well in that respect. But I don't think it was, put way, there's not going to be a point. The fly was the most famous thing to come out of that debate. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which I didn't even realize was a fly at first. I thought it was a flying roach. And I was like, they got roaches and it landed on Mike Pence. But it's, you know, what made the fly funny was that it got comfortable on his head. Most flies, it's like it lands, you wipe your hair or something, they're going to fly away. He didn't even feel it. He didn't wipe his head. The fly was just there. The fly got comfortable. The fly had a whole family in in his hair follicles. (laughs) The fly took his sweet time uh, before he decided he was going to go elsewhere. Um, and, and for that whole time, you know, it's one of those things where you like, this is, this is live TV. Like this, <laughs> it was hilarious. So now we've got memes of the fly and, you know, the fly doing interviews and all kinds of stuff. Right, exactly. And, we were now playing, you know, had to fly the confirmation hearing and, and yep, all yes. and, and, and Bolton. And, and, and but here's the thing about it: you can tell, but that obviously, you know, if, if the the biggest, if you think about it, that if you went to court, I went, to, you would give a speech or whatever, and people, when you left the room, were talking about the fly. Right. Well, what would you tell you about how much you you, you wow? <laughs> and that's what I mean. Now, don't get me wrong; her job wasn't to wow people. Her job was to do exactly Absolutely. what she was supposed to do. Think about it: you don't want ever, by the way, people come out of the vice presidential debate and go, "Damn, we wish she was president." Hmm. 
You know, that's what happened with John Kerry at the 2004 Democratic yeah. National Convention. Right? Obama mm -hmm. gave that speech and people were like, what the hell are you doing voting for this fool for? We were going to wait until last night. And so you don't ever want, you know, your VP to show you up like that. So, you know, her job wasn't to do that. Her job was to do exactly what she did, be reasonable, have people look at it and go, okay, she could be vice president and, you know, and keep it moving. Yeah, I think the, the big takeaway for me on that debate was Mike Pence doesn't believe that systemic racism exists, uh, <laughs> which, which is not a spoiler. Like, I, I kind of figured yeah. he would say something like that, just not publicly. Like, I think publicly say it. But, you know, I learned in that debate that Mike, Mike Pence is a lot more like Trump than we thought he was. So that is, I think, the thing that, that a lot of us, myself are including, are starting to learn. You know, there was time when people thought, oh, well, you know what? The adults in the room, right? And mm -hmm. Pence was right. an adult. He'd been, you know, he'd been a governor. He'd you know, been in, in Congress, you know, had a long established Republican career. But they thought, you know, he didn't, he's not the one who affected Trump. Trump affected him. Mm-hmm. He became Trump. Right. Wow. So it's telling ridiculous lies and stories about the fire. You know, it's like, you know, will you su will, will you support their peaceful, uh, you know, change of power? I don't, I don't know about all that. Like, really? <laughs> how in the world did Trump, you know, change you like that? But that's you know, that's how it is with with, with Trump. Um now the, let's talk about the peaceful change of power. As I hear it, at least as of today, which is what, October 14th, um, most of the polls are saying that Biden is not just winning the national polls, but if you break it out by state, has, you know, decent sized leads in some of the swing states. He, he looks like he is likely to be the winner, by the way, just like Hillary Clinton did this time last time. Mm -hmm. right. uh, but Trump doesn't seem to be taking any chances. Uh, and so they are doing everything they can um, to uh, keep keep my ashy uh, black ass out the polls. Mm. You guys mm. have uh, early voting uh, starting tomorrow, right? Yes, Lord. I've been waiting for this day for four years. I have been waiting to take people jobs. So, so, so um, tomorrow we get early voting in the state of North Carolina. You may have already seen some footage and pictures of early voting in other states like Georgia, I think that started today, uh, in Texas also. And I've seen these long lines, long lines of black people waiting hours and hours and hours on end to make sure that they exercise the same degree of privilege that I'm going to exercise tomorrow when I'm voting out the people that I don't want, i.e. Trump. Like, <laughs> um, what we also see, though, is those long lines are not by a happy stance, right? So those long lines are not just a matter of record numbers of black people coming to vote. Those long lines are also, you know, diminishing numbers of working voting machines <laughs> and, and others voter suppression tactics that are being implemented across this great nation to stop uh, black people from exercising what they know we're going to do, which is fire Trump. That's what we're trying to do. Um, so, you know, you might want to check first off. Uh, you definitely want to make sure that you understand where your polling place is. If you're doing that, some places have vote by mail. Some places have already designated city buildings and stuff that you can go vote at. You don't have to go to a specific place. Just check what's going on in your particular, not even your state, your county, and see what you all are doing before you get somewhere wrong. And they tell you you got to go across, you know, the county about exactly. two hours away to go elsewhere. 
Um, don't put anything past people. Also understand that you can still you can still vote, even though you show up if they try to play any kind of game. And you need to call on uh, a group of people called poll watchers. Um, it's not the people at Magic City. It's not Lou Williams. It's it's a group of people who actually uh, are responsible for ensuring that the polls are working effectively. Uh, now, I'm not saying that Lou Williams couldn't be a poll watcher. He might be. He's experienced. Just, he's not doing anything else right now. I'm just yes, saying. Like, not well. Um, but yeah, so definitely make sure that you you check in if there's any irregularities that you are making sure that you know, because you're not just helping yourself, you're helping other people who are waiting in line behind you who are going to experience the same issues. Um, and then if you are in a Southern state that has practiced gerrymandering with surgical precision, uh, make sure you just, uh, the, the best rule of thumb is just come with everything you need. Bring IDs, bring voter registration card, even if they, even if you don't need it, just bring it. Cause they're going to find a way to tell right. you, you can't come in, bring a credit card, two forms of ID, a traveler's check. <laughs> Whatever the case may be. Everything, right? Birth, 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 all right, since we've had the favorite <laughs> black people vote, there's been an effort for the last 150 years to keep us from voting. And it's been, by the way, the most successful thing America's ever done. All right, they've been there, we've been very good at keeping black people from voting. As you know, this was a big fight in, in, in the civil rights movement, one of the big fights, right? Trying to get black people to vote. And what was happening, in, you know, up until then was that black people had a legal right to vote, right, since 1866, but they would always find some way to keep. Uh, black people, individual black people, like all of us, uh, from voting, things like literacy tests, like poll taxes. Mm-hmm. Those things have always been unconstitutional since 1866. But the, the genius was, is that they would enact a new poll test tax, which would be unconstitutional. But by the time you could get to the Supreme Court to fight it, that election would be over. And the Supreme right. Court would say, you're right, that's unconstitutional. They say, oh, my bad, my bad, oops, and next year come for the new test. And by the time you fought that, et cetera. So you were always one election behind. The, one of the striking features of the civil of the Voting Rights Act, I believe it's in 1965, is that the Voting Rights Act put together what's called a preclearance provision. And what they said is if you're one of these states that's been using these jackass, um, you know, ways to keep you black from, or any minorities from voting. Let me give you an example of what, what I mean from in Alaska. One Alaska city, um, municipality just tried to use this once. They didn't want the Indian people to vote. So they mm-hmm. said, fine, you know, you guys can vote, obviously. It's in the Constitution. We're going to put the polling place on an island. Um, it's not accessible. There's no bridge. Uh, there's no ferry. Mm-hmm. But if you row your butt over there in a, in a rickety rowboat in November in Alaska, you can vote right. there. Right. Right. So here's what the preclearance um, rules of the ATA of the 1965 Civil Rights Act were supposed to do, is to prevent Alaska from doing that. It was Alaska, before they could move the polling place there, would have to go to D.C., to the, civil, the Justice Department Civil Rights Division, I believe, go before them and say, we want to make this change. And they would say, is that going to affect any, any people of color? And they'd say, uh, yeah, all of them. And they'd say, sit your butt down, right? Right. 
And for about 50 years, we had a system where whenever some one of the southern states and one of the states that had a history of this, of doing this, would try to you know pull a fast one at the last minute, like they're doing now with changing polling places. And, you know, they would they would not be able to do so until they could prove to um, the, the Civil Rights Division that, that they were doing the right thing. Um, in uh, during the Obama administration, there was a case called Shelby versus Holder that changed that. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is Clarence and them uh, decided in a five-four decision that the pre-clearance requirement was no longer necessary. We'd solve racism. Remember, Pence told us that, right? Just yeah. like no more systematic racism. They said, you know what? It's just as racist. In 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 in, in, in and part of this, you kind of the logical argument. It's just as racist in Montana or in Wisconsin, as we see, right? In Michigan, right? In the wrong area of Michigan, they got white supremacist groups there. So, mm-hmm. you know, since all the states aren't affected by this pre-class requirement, none of them should be. How are you going to discriminate against this? That's, that's, that's reverse statism, right? <laughs> <laughs> and as stupid as that argument was, it worked. And it wiped out the pre-clearance provisions. So basically, we're, we're living in, a, in an 1964 America as far as, you know, protecting black women's right to vote. Technically, we have the right to vote. And if you can bring a lawsuit in, what, two weeks, you can get that done. But since nobody gets to the Supreme Court before, what, two years, then it basically states can do whatever they want now. And so- about it is, is you know, at the time the decision came down, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote this, did this long dissent. And you know how this works, Jesse, where when one of the prerogatives you have as Supreme Court justice is you can actually, versus just submitting your opinion, you can read it from the bench and make the other people listen to it. Mm-hmm. And so she decided she'd exercise that prerogative and curse them out. And basically the argument was, this preclearance requirement has been working. Black voting rates have been going up for the last 50 years. And basically, you want to, you're saying there's no discrimination now, right? Because the voting has been going so well. It's like, no, 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 there's no discrimination because this law has been in place. Right. And once you take the law away, it's like saying, I'm not getting wet in the rain. And she's like, it's because you're holding an umbrella, fool. Right. You want to take away the umbrella and then be surprised when black people start getting wet again. So bring our brother. It's gonna be wet out there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's something that we all knew was happening, uh, <laughs> but I feel like we just, you know, the the issue becomes what are we empowered to be able to do about it? Um, and so you know, like we were talking earlier before the show, uh, there are different ideas that I've been trying to toss around as far as trying to collectively organize and mobilize black talent. Uh, the main one for this week is the possibility of a black super PAC, right? So a concept where we have black people who are represented from all regions of the country who come together and they devise amongst themselves a 10 point plan for black America. These are the 10 things we care about. That means we don't care about other things, but these are the 10 things that for this term we're going to care about. Okay. Uh, And we put together, we get all of our uh, athletes, celebrities, rappers, whoever, to put their money up. And instead of investing money into a Republican candidate or a Democratic candidate, they invest their money into the Black Super PAC. And that Black Super PAC can then orchestrate 
presidential debates that would, for whoever we feel like we want to uh, support, would get access to essentially a treasure trove of people, information, money, all the stuff that's a direct line to the black community. But it wouldn't be this situation we have now where we're just passively voting for someone. So right. the, the thought process came up with, you know, like a Republican candidate doesn't necessarily need black support because they've been functioning so well without it. So it would typically come up to be the Democratic person, but we don't want to get to a point where we feel like we are now, where it's just picking whoever is the Democratic uh, representative. Uh, what we want to do is have a pack that sets up debates earlier in that primary season so we can get a realistic view and people won't be able to dodge the black questions. Because I'm dying for the day where we have a two-hour presidential debate about two hours of black issues, like not anything else, black issues. What are you going to do? What is your opinion on this? What is your plan on this? And how long will it take to get implemented? What do you need, right? And just to see whose plan do we like better, who you know do we think will work, and then ultimately that person get access, but also be held accountable because of the collective buying power, if you will, of the super PAC and the fact that they would want that support in a future election. So the thing isn't that ridiculous or outrageous. CPAC is the example of that, mm-hmm. right? All CPAC gets to get together, gets all the candidates to come together to say, look, you know, to come and sort of kiss the ring and, and then and try to get their support. They, they have a bunch of money that they can then spend on advertising, commercials, etc. Certainly the NRA is, is not a soup, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a narrow issue pack. They only got one issue. But the idea is that they have a huge amount of power. And here's the thing about it is black people are 14 percent of the population. Right. Which is mm-hmm. not a majority. But we're a lot higher percentage of the population than the NRA, which I think wow. has four or five million members. But what they do have is they got four or five million members who are committed and money that goes out. Mm-hmm. And that buys them a lot of goodwill. All right. It buys them even, even even though they're a minority group by far, they 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 you notice that you know that they're winning. Absolutely. But they're strategic about it. They put the money together. We used to have a, a group like that um, and we still do, obviously. We, we, before the show, we were trying to figure out what happened with our beloved NAACP. Mm-hmm. Yep, Normally, they yep. would, be, would be doing these types of things. Um, I'm assuming maybe somebody's on vacation. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Extended vacation. <laughs> we'll reach out for that. That's a much more complicated story. I'm sure it's much more nuanced. It's you know, I believe the organization is you know, it's, it's certainly. It doesn't seem to be, you know, on the level it was during the days of, you know, Thurgood Marshall and, you know, overturning Supreme Court decisions and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably a, a longer story, but it certainly would be nice if we would have a collective agenda, you know, that that we had, you know, that we'd agreed on. And that, by the way, we also, you know, I <laughs> do I say that we, we backed that agenda with some money. Absolutely. That's the crucial part. Absolutely. Um, and, and so hopefully, um, you know, we'll get there at the very least. So the Democrats could try a lot harder to, you know, if you have black people out here now who are voting to save the Republic, they haven't, we haven't been offered anything in particular, right? Certainly, you know, we're not going to likely get any, you know, um, defunding of the police, 
That's a, right. you know, uh, on any level, um, then at least you could make it easy uh, for us to 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 not get anything for our vote. I got to wait 11 hours to not get something. Why do I have to wait 20 minutes? <laughs> and that's crazy. And, and, and part of that is, we talked about earlier, this idea that Dems have where they're in a contest, an electoral contest. And, you know, the Republicans are out there fighting. Right? Yeah. They're throwing blows and biting and whatever. And we're sitting there like, whoa, whoa. You know what? You know, uh, we're using the, the, the debate, Queensberry rules of debate. Right, we're not. <laughs> yeah, we really brought like a, a thesaurus to a knife fight. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this time and time again as well. I just feel like the, the Democrats have historically shown that they don't know how to wield power, and I feel like the Republicans will power at all costs. So, oh. you know, <laughs> and and it's weird because I think. I understand where people are coming from. I understand that you would want in, in a government, particularly in the legislative body, you would want a group that, for the most part, is going to be unified behind a certain set of commonly respected principles. Right. But the problem is, as we've seen with this uh, Amy uh, Coney Barrett uh, confirmation, you're not seeing the uniformity. Like all the, basically one of the, was it White was it White House? I think one of the senators listed all the quotes that the senators right. had for Merrick Garland right. on a big old piece of paper. And it was just like, y'all don't care about any of that now. Like now you got who you want and you move forward. And part of me is like, but you can't hate the player. Like you hate the game. So if, if you didn't do it, <laughs> you had an opportunity to do that too, and you didn't do it. That's what we wanted you to do. Well, and and um, then, so, let's go back to because this is the thing, the, the big thing to me. It's like you said it perfectly. All right, don't hate the player, hate the game. As long when, when as long as both sides can do it, it's fair, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's one of the things you know we talk about gerrymandering in the decisions in which the Supreme Court has been asked to step in for gerrymandering. That's been exactly their excuse for not doing so. They say, hey, Democrats, this is a rule of the game. You can do this. You can hand check as a better basketball sense, right? You you can shoot the three, okay? You can hack a shack. Now, if you choose not to hack a shack and they do, don't complain to us that you lose. Right. But right. in the rules, you can do that. So do it. And basically, the idea is that if you were to punch them back in the mouth, if if, if them start in, in Democratic states started doing the things the Republicans did, both in regards to gerrymandering and in regards to voter suppression. So I'll give you a great example. Right now in Texas, the way the Republicans are doing voter suppression is for mail-in ballots, you can only leave them in one box per county. And the counties that have minorities... You know, you know the county that has Dallas, Houston, the big cities. They got one box that you can leave five million ballots in. I don't know how that works. On the other hand, if you're in a real town, your county out, and so and so, you get your own box for all forty-three of you in the county. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how long it is the line is in Dallas to go drop or even drop off your your ballot because they. But here's the thing: is interesting is. The Democrats in a Democratic state, let's say, for, or in a state that has a swing state like Pennsylvania, should say, hey, we'll do the opposite. We're going to say we're going to give one um, ballot box per 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. 
Now, if you live in Philadelphia, that's going to be 40 or 50 ballot boxes for you. Absolutely. If you live in rural, in rural Pennsylvania, in that area we call Pennsylvania, in the middle, right? <laughs> okay. You might have to drive five hours to get to a ballot box. If you had to do it one per 100,000. There's a way to, 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 to use the same principles Republicans do and to hit them back in the mouth. Democrats would never do that. I'm never going to make Meemaw and Peepaw, you know, clamp it, drive five hours to vote. But, but they'll let black people stand in line for 11 hours to vote. Absolutely. And it's like, Absolutely. until you hit them back in the mouth, of course they're not going to stop. They're going to keep doing it. Why would they not? It's winning. It's working for them. Certainly it's working. Early you mentioned the hypocrisy. Let's talk about the confirmation hearing for your girl, uh, ACB, Notorious ACB. <laughs> she can't get notorious yet. She can't do that. You know, here's the thing is, she's more notorious not only than Baby Ruth, but also than, than B.I.G. Because I don't think that B.I.G., and I could be wrong, gave the entire president and his family the coronavirus. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm not saying that, they, that the, the Barrett family gave them the coronavirus, but I am saying that at their event, they all got it. Yep. Yep. Shared amongst friends. Oh, my yep. God. They, they, they were giving it to, 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 to the Rose Garden. The Roses, I think, got the coronavirus. I don't know who was there, but somebody <laughs> had a role, role, right? They were They were giving everybody. Um, and she's been up for her confirmation hearing for the last three days. Uh, you've been actually helping people in the community and, and doing work in housing. Uh, so you've been missing it. Uh, for, yeah, for I've been missing it. Part. I've, I've, got, I've caught some, um, some of the takeaways, so I know... There was a big, you know, I, I follow Twitter. So when I see stuff trending, uh, I know that uh, about, I think, Senator Whitehouse with the quotes. I also know about her, I guess, her introduction of her family and how apparently the adopted Haitian kids in her family are not uh, subscribed to the same qualities of aptitude that, that her, her white kids are, uh, which is disturbing, um, but uh, not surprising. Disturbing, but but not surprising. <laughs> there's, there's a lesson to be learned. And just so we're clear here, I'm going to pull up here what she said because she only had. It makes sense. She didn't want to spend a whole bunch of time talking to her kids, so she just picked one sentence for each kid, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so we got seven kids here. And, and, and the first kid, what she said about was, and this is great too. The first kid, she says. The sophomore in college who just might follow her parents into a career in law. That's very nice. The 16-year-old who, uh, while she shares her parents' love for liberal arts, also has a math gene uh, that seems to skip her parents' generation. Uh, the third kid, strong, smart, strong, and kind child. All right, still loves watching movies with mom and dad. The fourth mm -hmm. kid, the 10-year-old who is already pursuing her goal of becoming an author by writing multiple essays and short stories, one of which she recently submitted for publication. Uh, the fifth kid, uh, the once weak girl who now deadlifts as much as the male athletes at our gym. Wait a minute. So the other four are all geniuses, and this is a big muscle girl. All right, all right, all right. Uh, the, the sixth child, the child whose signature trait is his happy-go-lucky attitude. Mm. Mm. And then the seventh child, uh, uh, the baby of the family, everybody just loves him. He's uh, pointing out the, the other siblings on TV. Now the seventh child um, is the little baby, and 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 he's, he, he, the baby has Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. 
the description of that child's future and aptitude isn't much different than, than the black Haitian kids. Mm. And it's an interesting thing. And I'm not saying it's her. Who knows what her situation is? She only had one thing to say, so maybe she would have had more to say. But it is an important reminder that I believe she loves those babies. Loves, loves, loves those babies. But it does not mean that just because she loves them that she doesn't have whatever racial biases she would have already had. And I tell people that love is not colorblind. You can love, love, love people, but still bring whatever prejudices you bring to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard to believe that this American white woman doesn't doesn't, doesn't feel somewhat superior to not only black kids, but Haitian black kids. And I'm going to worry about what made her, you know, like want Haitian kids. Where did that come from? Well, one of them, at least, the young or the boy that they got out of the, um, you know, or that last big earthquake. Okay. So a lot of American churches were trying to volunteer, you know, kids who had their parents killed in an earthquake were trying to get these kids adopted. Now, there's a larger question about transracial adoption. I, you know, haven't studied it as much as I should. There's some people who really have strong opinions. My general, um, you know, feeling is if you're willing to raise any child who is not biologically yours, you are a better person than me, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. All right. There's several days a week. I'm not sure I want to raise my own kids. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure most of them are mine. I'm not sure about the little ones. We can get past the rest of them. I'm pretty sure. And, and, and still, I'm trying to adopt out a 26-year-old. If, by the way, if you listen to the podcast, you want a 26-year-old son um, who and you got to play for his apartment, um, enjoy yourself. Uh, you can have him. Um, <laughs> but seriously, it's like... So my general thought is I want to give these people the benefit of the doubt. I think their intentions are usually good, but there are challenges, right? To you know, if you raise people, and think about it, 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 it's like if you were to raise someone and, and you love them for the first 18 years, but when they grow up, they're going to have to experience stuff that you never did have to experience. You're going to need some help. It's going to be hard. And, and I think a lot of parents don't realize this situation. You think, okay, I'm raised my kid, but they're not going to be like your other kids when they grow up. They're going to have to deal with these expectations, all these other things. It'd be like saying, I'm going to raise this child, and they're going to go live in Jupiter when they grow up. Right. Well, you would be helpful if they met some Jupiter Jupiteers before then. Absolutely. Right? Who can Absolutely. help you understand and navigate. And that's the thing that's important, you know, in these communities. So if you have support, and a lot of times they do, they have, you know, mentors and people bring in other, you know, um, you know black people and, you know, and other people, race, you know, minorities, so they understand these things. They can learn. You know, what it's going to be like to be a black man or black woman in America. I'm all for it there. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm all for it as well. I think um, the biggest thing, though, before you even get to kids crossing over and maturing into adults, I'm thinking about, like, who does the hair? Right? (laughs) Because that's something that needs immediate resolution as soon as, you know, people get here and hair starts sprouting. Um, You know, but the other thing is... On one hand, I want to, I guess just because I know the confirmation is imminent, I I want to have hope that perhaps her relationship with these kids might open her eyes and some, especially with them being so young, might open her eyes to some of the injustices that she will be presiding over in these cases. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that maybe that can influence her because, you know, 
we we talked earlier about what the game is for people to have to go through the motions to get into the seat. But once they get into the seat, they're going to be given such a vast uh, degree of latitude. Uh, and, and that's when legal scholars uh, and people like us are going to dissect what their words are on these uh, decisions and determine, you know, are they as conservative as advertised? Are they more uh, swing votes? You know, like, are you know, who knows? You know, that's um, an interesting thing. And here's the weird part is I, it, it works that way for some people. So, for instance, you know, you know, people will have these 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 revelations when, for instance, they have a child who comes out as gay. Right. And now you got Dick Cheney running around going, well, hey, and, you know, when people do in their bedroom, it's none of your business. Like, really, Dick? That, that's your right. theory? You don't think right. that way until you had a daughter, right, who was a lesbian. So I, I, I get how that changed. But I think there's something different about race. I think part of it is you get enough time to get used to it, I guess. Mm. You knew you were going to have a black child, right, since the whole time. They didn't have to come out as black to you. Right. And so, you know, whatever you you kind of got used to in your mind, how, how, how this works. Also, like I said, you've always seen them as different versus the gay kid who you thought was going to have all these opportunities. Then they grow up to be gay. And you realize, oh, my, I, I got to do I got to do right by them to give them the opportunities I thought they were going to have. You you always knew that, that Tyrone wasn't going to have nothing. Mm-hmm. Or at least as much, and, and, and so I, that's my theory. Is that hopefully, you're right, though. Maybe that'll change over time as these kids grow up and start dealing with the police. She'll go, "Oh, wait a minute, this is my baby." Right, right. Um, and so there's there's that there's that hope and thought. I'm not sure though that that, that we have a record that that would demonstrate um, that it, that it works that way um, that often. Oftentimes, it seems like you know, and I totally get it. You know, I, I remember one time I was explaining to people how. It's possible to love the black off your baby. And what I mean by, at least in your mind, there was a couple um, who who was on the news crying a couple years ago because their daughter-in-law had been deported under Trump's, right, you know, throw all the Mexicans out program, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And the weird part is they voted for Trump, and and this daughter-in-law wasn't new. They had this daughter-in-law the whole time. They voted for Trump with despite his promise he was gonna throw out their daughter-in-law. And 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 they voted for him anyway. Why? They didn't think it, it applied to her. Mm. They, they had loved the, the Mexican right off this girl, right? Because it was their, their girl. They didn't think of her as the people that he was talking about, the rapist, etc. Right. You understand? Know it's possible right. to look at your black child and, and not see one and, and see basically you. And then mm. not, and, and and then be surprised when you know when they're treated like all the other black people. I wonder have they done any follow up on those people? Because I'd be very curious now with this being an election season, what their thought is. Are they still going to vote for Trump again? <laughs> Knowing what happened to no, uh, exactly. Funny is they then got they were on because they were disgruntled at that point when they realized that oh my god we can't get her out. There's no exception for her. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they thought that they, they, you know, maybe if you were if married to a white family, that you could just call up saying, hey, we white, you white, you know, let her out. Right. Well, they realized, oh my. And I think at the time, I would bet you believe that they had just forgotten, not really thought of her as being, right, you know, Latina anymore because she's, you know, part of the family. Right. And, um, you know, think about it. We know black people forget they're black. Mm hmm. So you know, you know, white people can forget that they're they're, they're adopted children of black, um, and and that becomes a challenge. Now, 
aside from her personal life, we have to deal with her confirmation. We're in a process that's very silly right now. You've seen the tweets about it. The process we're in is we're playing um, a, a, a associate. We're playing Supreme Court Justice uh, Go Seek or Hide and Go Seek. And, and the way the process works is very simply this: to get confirmed to a Supreme Court seat, you have to pretend that you are not going to do things that we know you're going to do, which is why you were appointed in the first place. Okay. So the pro-life justice has to pretend that she's never really thought of abortion. In 50 years, she really has no clue about it all. When the case comes before her, she'll make up her mind then. And they'll say, I can't tell you what my answer will be because, you know, that might come up later, which is crazy, right? that's, That's dumb. But by the way, it makes sense in a larger context, and I hope I can do this really quickly. The Supreme Court um, confirmation process we're watching right now is really new. For the first 150 years, there there were no confirmation hearings, at least not as we know them now. What happens is for most of the justices who were appointed before in the 17th or the 18th and 19th centuries, they were already confirmed before they found out they were on the court. Hmm. Interesting. We didn't, we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have phones. So by the time we got the Pony Express out to Tennessee, they had already submitted your name in D.C. You had been approved. They, you had already decided a few cases before you found out. All right. It took a while to get to you. And so by the time it got to you, you said, OK, I'm, you know, and so, so most people, I don't know if you ever saw the, the Broadway play Hamilton on, 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 uh, on, of course. Uh, on Disney. Remember how. Um, when, 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 uh, when Jefferson gets back in that song, what did I miss? And, um, he says, I'm already Senate approved. Yes. I remember. He didn't sit down for a Senate confirmation hearing. They had already figured that out. Right. Hmm. That's how it was. First of all, it was only the same seven white people all the time. Right. So it wasn't like they didn't know each other. Right. <laughs> Generally speaking, and I'm not kidding. Here's what happened. Woodrow Wilson. I believe it's 1915, uh, nominates a guy named Brandeis. And Brandeis is it makes a mistake of being Jewish. Okay? First mm-hmm. Jewish uh, Supreme Court justice, and they're not gonna let that go by with a with a with you know with with a, a, a hands a handshake deal. We gotta have a confirmation hearing. They had the mm-hmm. first confirmation hearing ever. Now the thing about Brandeis is he is the you know, the the Supreme Court scholar, he he's what Alan Dershowitz used to be before he lost his mind. He's the most jurist out there. He's amazing. Nobody can say anything about him, but it takes about three months to get everybody back and forth, right, on the Pony Express. But they finally get his even confirmed. And then they go back to doing what they used to do for a long time. FDR, I think it's in 1939, uh, uh, nominates a guy named Felix Frankfurter, who was not only Jewish, but also one of the founders of the ACLU. And so they're like, oh, we got to pull everybody back together. We can we get Jew and liberal. No, no, come on back. And so they come on back. He gets confirmed. They go away again, and they and they start doing these little, you know, just basically committee meetings. Well, we got to hire them, yes or no. And they let through a guy named Hugo Black. And three days after he gets confirmed, it hits the newspaper that he used to be a member of the Klan. And they're like, damn, this looks bad for all of us. Now, don't get me wrong. We wanted races in there, but we didn't, you know, we wanted, wanted, you know, a racist in a a Brooks Brothers suit. Like, not in in the road. This is ridiculous, right? This is going to look bad for all of us. And it's Mm -hmm. embarrassing. So here's what we want to do. We want to have public hearings in the future. 
And we're going to have public hearings from now on so that if the, you used to be a Klansman, one of the other Klansmen will tell us. And so we won't do this. Again. <laughs> right, right. And I'm not kidding. That's sort of how it went for the next several years. They started, by that time, start rejecting people. And, and, and a lot of times it was on racism. So in 1970, Nixon appointed two racists in a row. One guy who called the civil rights movement the civil wrong movement. And sure enough, people who had been in his speeches and were like, look, he's in the Klan, right? And they threw him out. Next guy threw him out. Reagan appoints a guy named Bork in, in 1987, I believe, in 87. And, and Bork is a conservative jurist, brilliant guy. He's written every book on every subject. I mean, really, kind of a genius guy, very conservative. And, and, the, and the liberals are like, this is crazy, all right? Because he, he's not, he's smart. He, he was a smart racist. Never joined the Klan. You know, and wore his three-piece suit, would never say the N-word in public. All right, maybe even not in private, right? Just a kind of guy who was, you know, clean and proper racist, right? And, and, and so, but, he, but, but the problem this guy, though, was, is that while he was nice and cordial, he had written so much stuff that they knew exactly what he was going to do, right, when he got mm-hmm. in office. Because he had said, if I ever go to the Supreme Court, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And so they, they, when he got what was called borked, but the funny thing is they went and looked for dirt on him. And he was squeaky clean. They even tried to get his blockbuster video record, see if he'd been in that little dark room right in the back and, and with the curtain and the yard on the thing. And uh and they said, no, he'd written Disney movies. Clean cut. So they couldn't get him on that. So but they got him because they knew who he was. And so from then on, every Supreme Court justice, the requirement to be appointed was that you had to have to be fifty year old man or woman who has never had a public opinion about anything. Mm. You can't have written anything, at least outside of being a judge, right? We can go by your written opinions, but you can't, you know, if you write a book saying, you know, I think this, you know, know, I'm pro-life and do these reasons and I'm going to strike down Roe v. Wade because X, Y, Z, they'll get you. But as long as you've been quiet about your, your plans, not letting anybody know, then you can get on the court unless... We can get you on on some on on some scandal stuff, and so ever since then we've had people like Clarence Thomas. You know, we've actually had a situation where now most of our Supreme Court um, justices are less qualified in the traditional sense than they would be because the most senior, qualified, well thought out, well spoken, well written jurists can never get through the confirmation process because we know what they're going to do. Right. So you have to have someone who's never written any books, who just got on the bench a couple of years ago, doesn't have any opinions. That's Amy Coney Barrett. She's only been on the uh, the Seventh Circuit for two years now. Right. She before then, she was, you know, a university professor, but, you know, is not the kind of person who, you know, you've seen everywhere who has all of their opinions. She's not Ralph Nader. Right, who you know has very clearly delineated opinions on everything. She she's she's someone who you know is somewhat stealthy. Now we can guess because Trump picked her where she's going to come out on everything. Right, absolutely. But you know th- they can't necessarily prove and pin it on her. But this is the, what the whole hearing is about: is people saying, "Hey, you wrote here that this and this is going to be the case," and she's saying, "Look, I did that there, but that was that case." When it comes to a new case, I won't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea. It's a really bad, imperfect situation, and it's now getting really silly 
because now the questions, normally the questions always went around affirmative action, right? They went around uh, Roe v. Wade, um, you know, basically the big taxation, Obamacare, maybe the big, the big conservative and liberal questions. Now labor, right? Now the questions are are, are really Trump uh, specific. Uh, what do you, you know, how would you um, enforce uh, voter intimidation laws, right? <laughs> Can the president pardon himself, hypothetically? Mm. The good news for her is she's going to get through confirmation because she can honestly say, I don't know. I've never right. thought about it before. <laughs> and in truth, nobody has written a book on whether the president would ever pardon himself because nobody thought the president would ever do nothing that crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we do know a couple things. We do know that, um, at least based on her answer, saying the N-word at work doesn't necessarily make, uh, you know, doesn't make it a hostile work environment. You know that. Yeah, 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 but that is true. And and, and just to give you some, because I looked at it to get some, some clarification or some more context in that case. I, 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 I think that her opinion was horrible. Um, and, 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 but here's how she weaseled her way into it. <laughs> so she said, the thing about that, that N-word display is that they didn't just say, by the way, you know, the N-word. They called him a, a stupid ass, loud mouth, da 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 da. And she says, well, in the context of all the other insults, it's not really so racially motivated. The mm-hmm. N-word is only like the seventh worst thing they thought about it. Right. <laughs> so basically, the hint for you, by the way, if you need to be able to call someone the N word at work, um, and I and and I wouldn't recognize recommend it unless you you're working from home. Um, but but if you do, <laughs> um, you need to throw in some other insults as well, <laughs> so they won't be considered just racially motivated, but that you just hate them general. And you need to make sure that you're recording when you do it, and that it's it's live streaming to YouTube. Just make sure. <laughs> Put World Star on it as well, because uh, it's probably not going to end well for you. And it, you'll see what a hostile work environment really yeah, yeah. looks like. You, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you might, you got, you're right. You don't want to have that just on audio. You want to make sure we get the full video. Um, and, and by the way, be nice. I'm gonna watch it like the Scooter film, right? I'm watching it 200 times. So go ahead and make sure you, um, you get get an HD. Um, <laughs> an HD. But but it is interesting though how. You know, I, like I said, I, so Snopes was talking about that and they were like, you know, it's partially true and partially not true. And so I'm thinking, OK, maybe we done read it wrong. And it turned out that was worse. It seemed to me that it's, it's a really hostile environment if you don't call me just the N word, but you call me a bunch of other stuff, yeah, too. Right? Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> but, you know, black people are supposed to have lesser pain tolerance. So we I'm yeah, we're gonna be able to deal with that. Oh, yeah, I mean, so I'm glad that you explained how these confirmation procedures work. Um, I think that it it helps me understand a lot more context about why we see certain things, or even why the people who were uh, appointed to the court under Obama got in so quickly. Because I feel like I don't remember. Anything about uh, about Kagan Sotomayor? They had like a sixty minutes special. Yeah, about exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, and you're saying the purpose of with Kagan. Kagan. So her job before she had been on the court, she was at Harvard. But before then, I'm sorry. Before she was on the the court, she was the Solicitor General 
of the, um, which basically is the person who argues for the United States on in court cases. And before that, she was a Harvard Law Professor Dean, right there, right? Ran Harvard. I Law think School. she worked with Thurgood Marshall. Um, she's she in law school too, right? She yeah. exactly. So she's you know big, you know big, 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 big all of the so she has all the, the credentials that put that aside. And so they they start going to her like, look, well, what about this thing you did as Solicitor General? And she was like, look, that's Obama. I'm not the judge. I'm not. I wasn't directing that. I'm just mm-hmm. doing the job. I'm not. I was his lawyer. I necessarily believe what you know. He got big ears. I don't believe that crazy stuff he believed. <laughs> and basically, they went through her law professor stuff, and they were like, "Damn it, how the hell were you a law professor? Wrote all these law review articles, and 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 never talked about abortion." And she's like, "Because I wanted to get on the Supreme Court one day." <laughs> Remember, since 1987, this has been the case. Every smart person who's wanted to get on the court since then has no opinions published, at least, or or have given speeches about any of these controversial, you know, issues that could get them derailed. And the only thing we have to go by now is scandal. So unless somebody comes forward and say that, you know, Amy uh, Coney Barrett grabbed them in the, you know, in, in the hoo-ha um, at, a, at a college party. And, you know, she might have done it. Those Catholic girls get a little crazy. And uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, she's an evangelical, so it's possible. Right, we learned that recently. Anything is through, through evangelicals, anything is possible. Right, we learned that through for, for, from our <laughs> side. We learned that. Um, so it's possible they've been doing some pool boy stuff, but unless we get something like that, she's getting through. This election season, you have a choice. Make your next move your best move. But remember, a vote for Trump is a vote for Trump. A vote for a viable third-party candidate is a vote for Trump. A vote for Kanye West is a vote for Trump. A vote on a Russian-backed voting machine is a vote for Trump. An absentee ballot is not a vote at all. But if it were to be counted, would be a vote for Trump. And a vote for Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris. Vote Biden. Yeah, yeah. Or or unless everybody comes down with a severe case of COVID nineteen, which is possible as well. Right. <laughs> you know, that is, although you see it, they've been doing a lot of that Zoom. And that's what I love is these Republicans who are sitting there pretending like, I don't know what you're talking about, we should open these places up. Uh, but I but I, I ain't coming back until right. uh, <laughs> Yep. Y'all going out there, tapple bees, and get and get and get the row row. But uh, I'm gonna stay here. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I I think the the big thing, the big takeaway for me is seeing. This is probably the first time that I've seen people in Washington who are impacted directly by something that has impacted so many Americans. I think COVID is the gift that is bringing us all together. <laughs> um, and so I also feel like what we should appreciate is all these people who work on Capitol Hill or in the White House have access to tremendous medical resources. Yes, that, please preach. You know, that's what we all want, right? We In an ideal world, we all would want to be able to go to a good doctor who knows what they're talking about and who can treat us with state-of-the-art medicines to ensure that we don't die 
of COVID-19 like the other 216,000 people that we've already lost in this country, unfortunately, right. uh, for COVID. The problem, though, is the people who are in Washington are able to continuously deny you because even the thought of me saying we want, we should all be able to have access to a good doctor, that's socialist to them. Right. <laughs> that's socialist. Uh, that's Venezuela to them. Uh, and so they're able to kind of commandeer all of these resources through way of their lofty position and title uh, that they know we all need. And yet they are willing to see us suffer and die <laughs> not to have it which is very, very weird considering that they're supposed to be government leaders. Well, not just um, that, but these are also the, 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 the Christian wrong. I mean, these people are, you know, the moral, the party of, 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 of family values. Family values, yeah. Don't include Meemaw. And, and, and let's explain, you know, the system, they wanted this case now for the Supreme Court where they're trying to say that Obamacare is, um, you know, someone's argued that it's unconstitutional, an overstep of federal power. And the what normally happens is the government always comes in in these cases to um, defend its own law. And this is one of the rare cases. It's happened sometimes. Where, and it happened actually with gay rights as well. But where the government of the United States is saying um, the law that, you know, was passed by the federal government, this current administration is saying, uh, my name is Bennett. I ain't in it. Mm. Actually, as a matter of fact, that's not doing that. They're actually arguing the other side. You're right. Our law is unconstitutional, right? <laughs> Which is bizarre, right? It almost never happens, but it's happening right. here. And if that in the now, it, under Obamacare now, I got to tell you, I would be someone who would probably not make it through COVID. The thing that saved Trump's crazy butt is that as soon as he was feeling a sniffle, they were in there getting the, the, the you know, the, 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 the UV rays up the butt, right? The bleed. Mm-hmm. Uh, drink cocktails. He getting all of that, right? Right, right. But I have Obamacare. Um, I have a $16,000 deductible mm. uh, in addition to, you know, $14 a month and in, 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 in premiums and all that. But here's the bottom line is, I, I got to be pretty much sure I'm going to die before I go into the house. <laughs> because you know walking in there is going to cost you sixteen grand, right? Right, so right. Before, I, before I write that check for 16 grand right at the front door, I got to be pretty sure somebody going to die if I don't. Right. Right. And that's the problem is by the time you end up going, it's too late because you didn't want to. So all the people who have, you know, these plans on Obamacare with these high deductibles, they're trying to, you know, have a reasonable premium are in a situation where they're going to wait too long. Hmm. Because otherwise, you don't want to be, you don't want to situate. And, 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 and by the way, you think I'm kidding about the 16 grand? My, um, my, my son years ago cut himself one night with a you know, knife trying to get cheese out of the refrigerator or something, and he needed seven stitches. $14,000 for seven stitches. Yikes. Right? I was like, what did you, what were they made out of? Plutonium? Really? What kind of stuff? <laughs> And, and right. so, you know, you know that, you know, you're going to, 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 to basically, you know, be broke if you go. And so people tend to wait. And that's why the, one of the reasons why the, the death rate among black people is so much higher. It's not because mm-hmm. all of us are so sick, but that most of us don't have the money to go. And that's, by the way, under Obamacare. Now, what happens when they take that away? And now, mm-hmm. but people have no insurance. And even that is, so 
I remember when Obama had gotten so frustrated when he was trying to, you know, inform the Senate, uh, the House, I mean, of the Obamacare plan, at least in its initial stage right. of what he wanted, that he started bringing the cameras in for the actual meeting so you could uh-huh. see Eric Cantor and Mitch McConnell and all them saying no. Like, no, 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 no. Um, and and I think, you know, what happens now is because they were able to gut so much of the bill, right, that he had initially tried to propose, um, it now wears his name as only a shell of what it was supposed to be. And now it's easy for people, you know, to poke fun at the things that it does not do. And so this is one of the, the, the platform points for Joe Biden. He's saying, I want to finish what we started. I want to take what the Obamacare plan was supposed to be and get it there. Um, and I think that for insurance companies, you may not necessarily want that, right? Like the insurance companies like, well, no, let's just have free market. Let's just decide. Let's let people's employers decide what kind of insurance they're going to have. And we can just take it from, you know, the the employers and and keep it moving. And I think that, you know, what we have come to realize, whether they want to admit it or not, is that employers get way too much power in determining what our health care is going to be. Right. So people want to be able, I mean, people should be able to go to the doctor for annual checkups or for any time that they're not feeling well and be checked out, particularly during the time of a global pandemic, right? You should be able to. But the fact that you aren't able to, it isn't just a situation of, you know, dollars and cents. It's actually a bigger political struggle for these moneyed interests that have bought their way into your Congress, congressional officials' pocket to dictate how they want this thing to operate. So all these things come up on an election cycle. You need to do your research on the people who are going to be on your ballot and what kind of bills they have uh, proposed, what their voting record is, and who they are buddy-buddy and chummy with uh, before you go down there and make your vote. Don't vote just on colors. right? (laughs) Vote vote on what what people are, are doing because the issue is if you vote for new people, there's no guarantee that replacing those people is going to make it better. But at least you know that there's a different perspective that'll be coming into that office. Like I look at people like Mitch McConnell and I'm like, how do you continuously win this state over and over again? The lady who's running against him literally went down the list, the laundry list of statistics in which Kentucky is 49th or 50th. Right. And she's like, we've been like this for the past 30 years. Nothing has changed. How how is Mitch McConnell still winning? The state of Kentucky. Oh, you know the crazy part? I saw that. And did you notice that the whole time she's making these great points, he's just laughing at her? Yep. Yep. He don't even care. I was like, damn, isn't that nice? To just be able to like, I know I suck, but y'all. And and he's almost looking at her like, you know you're a girl, right? You know (laughs) you're a girl, right? Yep. And and it's true. You know, there's, 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 there's something about, you know, it, people were they're constantly sort of just voting for the thing, even though it, it's never helped them, but they're used to doing it. And there's no way in the world that the people in Kentucky are going to choose the 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 the, the, uh, the liberal right woman. I believe she even had a short haircut. All right, how the heck yeah, is she? Marine, Marine, riding the motorcycle. Yeah, 
right? And Mitch McConnell, you know, he got the, the, the turkey neck that, that, that they're all comfortable with. Um, you know, he sounded a little slow. Uh, so, you know, no one's feeling intimidated by him. He's, he, he's, 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 he's going to be another 150 years. Mm-mm-mm. And the thing for me was, and hopefully I'm glad we suddenly got past this, don't even waste money in that. You don't have to. Because if we take control of the Senate, then Mitch is basically nobody. He can stay there if he right. want to, but as, long, but as long as you have control. And on the other hand, if you got rid of Mitch, but they still kept control, who's going to be better? What, 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 um, what, um, Leslie Grant, I'm sorry, Lindsay, doesn't make a difference. You know, the, 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 the woman from South Carolina, uh, running against her brother. What, what, what's, what's her name? <laughs> the woman, I, I, I thought you saw Lindsey Graham, and Lindsey Graham is, I don't know. He's, Lindsey's a man? Have <laughs> you check? Have you check? I, I need to see. I need to see some twenty three and me or or, or, or a dick pic. I, 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 I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yeah, Lindsey Graham is a man. Uh, well, was before he became a Trump supporter. So I, I don't know what happened to him. I, I, heard, I heard a great theory today, and it wasn't the most implausible thing. I guess there's big news came out. That the inquirer was was one that uh, dropped dime on Jeff Bezos. Mm. What they were trying to do, they got the goods on, and they were trying to get him to start giving positive coverage to to Trump through the Washington Post. And he was like, "Hey, you ain't gonna blackmail me. I'll just give my wife this dollars I'm gonna be all right with another hundred billion, right? I, I ain't gonna miss a meal, right? Kiss my ass." Right. Right. You know, you, you ain't gonna own me shit. Right. Right. And so, but here's the thing about it is there's, there's now thought, well, damn, you wouldn't, you first time you try and blackmail somebody for Trump, you wouldn't start with the richest man in the world. Right. You probably start on the, on the line, like maybe Lindsey Graham. And maybe you got some proof mm. of what we all suspect might be the truth about Miss Graham. And that um, mm. maybe, maybe uh, that he's been blackmailed. And, and maybe you got even on something on, on, on McConnell or or or, or, um, or Mrs. McConnell. Mm. And the theory that maybe some of these people aren't being so much hypnotized by Trump as they're being blackmailed by him. I mean, that would make a lot of sense because I know it's it's just the concept. I can't see somebody on a public stage talking about your wife to your face right, like right, a dog. Right. And you gonna go back and start kissing butt every time I see Ted Cruz up there doing a commercial or doing something for Trump, and I'm just like, yeah, but beyond Republican and Democrat, beyond it's like this man was talking about your wife to your face, and you didn't like it, but you didn't really voice like what he did was he was like, yeah, sir, I would appreciate if you leave my wife out of this. Like that's his response to it because he's trying to look. His thing is, he was like, you know, we both. Married wonderful women and beautiful women. And I was like, I would have been like, are you kidding me, Trump? I have seen your wife's hoo-ha. <laughs> I know your wife's pussy better than I know my, than, 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 than I know any of you. All right, this is goddamn <laughs> I showed you old married people. This is the first hoo-ha, right? Right here on your right, right, right. It's a damn wallpaper on my my phone, and <laughs> like in his ass, and he's in there like, well, you know, we do have both have nice wives, but like, really, no, no, Marco Rubio, he had he had called him little Marco, right? Yeah. Then you know, Demi called you little boy, 
and you out there, you know, caping for him every every time you get you your chance, he might have something on these people. He has to. He has to. I guess Russia then found all the dirt because you know <laughs> it has to be so. There's no way that you can just talk about somebody family and just. And then even with like, I was upset in the first debate because he was talking about Joe Biden's son. And I could tell it hurt Joe Biden. Like I could tell, like that hurt. Um, and I'm just like, your kid's not running for office, right? And I think the American people would appreciate it if somebody would stand up to Trump when he does stuff like that. But nobody does. Like they try to spin it into, you know, oh well, you know, my my son beat this. Now, now you got Joe Biden giving an address to every drug addict in in the world. Like you, my son beat it, and they're good people out here who are hooked on drugs who can beat it too. It's like, okay, yeah, that's great. We get it. But this dude just talked about your son on news. And, and like, I guess I feel like I, that wouldn't be me. Like maybe that's why I'm not good at politics. Because the moment that Mark Conway got mentioned, uh, these can't, I would have been beating Trump. <laughs> these can't, they would have had to put me down on national TV. They would have had to put you down. And that's the thing is, is amazing, by the way. I looked into this, this this week too. You know, one of the problems we got in America is that Secret Service has gotten really good. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, someone we, we, we was talking, they were like, you know, because, you know, this is the crazy part. So I'm not recommending it. But back in the day, we didn't have a lot of these problems as much as, you know, how do we go 20 years without having a Trump before? And the reason is mm-hmm. pretty simple is that um, we had a lot of political violence in America. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. You know, we had, think about how crazy it is. In, 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 in one decade, we had, both Kennedy brothers assassinated, assassinated, assassinated mm-hmm. right? Dr. King, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, the way to handle people in, in, in before, say, 1980 uh, was 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 not to take them to court, all right, or not to you know gerrymander them out of existence. There was a lot of a lot of political killing going on pretty much from the time of Abraham Lincoln, 1865. We lost four right. presidents, right? right. The, those were the ones who, who who didn't live. Reagan got shot. Right? Right. Yep. What happened is after 80, the Secret Service got really good. And nobody can get to anybody anymore. <laughs> it's got to be something. I, I know Trump for sure because you just, I I wasn't raised in a situation where you could say the stuff that Trump gets away with saying. And without a security force, uh, you be food out here. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> yeah, then the security's gotten really. I think like, I was in. I admit, weren't you surprised that Obama made it through the eight years? Oh yes, right. Yes. I was nervous when he got out of the car for the walker. Thank you, right? I mean, and you know, and and I and, and I don't mean just made it, but we didn't even have like I'm sure there were some plots they uncovered or whatever, but you know, no, you know, scares where you know they would bomb people to jump on top of Obama. I never saw Secret Service the whole time Obama was, was was doing his thing. That's how good they got. Mm-hmm. By the way, just as a note to the police, um, you notice that the Secret Service can protect the president with ten thousand people in the audience, all of them holding cell phones, and they don't just happen to shoot one black person who looked dangerous. Right. So um, if they can do that, then maybe Stefan Clark can use a cell phone in his backyard and not get shot by y'all. Um, maybe, maybe every black maybe maybe every black person who who, um, who has something in their hands isn't is, isn't dangerous because uh, they can be a whole crowd. And and, and remember, presence is very important. And nobody Secret Service, to their credit, has not uh, shot one black man. Mm-hmm. But somehow the police got 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 to shoot black man every forty five minutes. 
Right. For for way less. <laughs> Alleged broken tail light. Yeah. And and the, the interesting about it is the, the, the Secret Service is apparently has a different uh, you know way of uh, rule of engagement, which means uh, you can't shoot anybody until they actually try to kill the president. Mm. Versus police, which is like, well, I thought he might be possibly kind of look kind of shady. <laughs> <laughs> I was fearful of my life when he came out of that donut store. Absolutely, uh, right? And that's what I love about it, you know, is the Secret Service, their job is, okay, well, if, if somebody, you know, looks looks dangerous, I'm supposed to, 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 to you know, sacrifice my life to protect. Mm-hmm. They don't say, you'll hear Secret Service going, you know, I'm just trying to get home to my family. Yeah, no, no, no. Right? Your job is to make sure the president gets home to his family. And if you right. happen to get home, good for you, too. Right. Well, well, you know, a lot of people in the military say the same thing. They talk about rules of engagement in the military, and they're like, I don't understand how this many, you know, shootings occur on American soil to American citizens, when even in wartime situations, there are still rules of engagement before we discharge firearms. Right. So, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, Go I ahead. feel like we we know what the answer to that question is. <laughs> we, know, we know what the answer is. We don't like the answer, but the answer is: well, police want to shoot black people. Like <laughs> you gave us all these cool guns, we want to shoot people. We certainly wouldn't risk shooting white people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you can't. We can't do that. And yeah. I, I mean, part of it is, it's I gotta tell you, and I hate to say it, but but, but they got a punk ass mentality, which is I'm supposed to go home to my family. No, 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 motherfucker, you work for me. I'm supposed to go home to my family. Right. If you make it to your family, good for you. But 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 I didn't pay you to, for you to go home to your family. Shit, no, no, no. You, I paid you for me to go home to my family. And, right. and, and, and and hopefully you get to go home too. Right. And and, and it's a job. It's, this is something you chose to do. Thank you. Right. It's a job. I don't even, you know, I feel like for, for people in the military, I'm like, look, these people oftentimes got bigger plans. So it's like, look, I want to retire by the time I'm 48. I want to go to school. Um, I might have government aspirations, and I think I need this experience to be somebody in government, whatever the case may be. But I think everybody signs those military contracts because if you're ever in a recruiting station, they're not going to hold it back from you. Like Everybody signs up knowing full well that there is a viable risk that you could die here. <laughs> That's just, it's just there. doesn't happen often. But if we get called up and... Stuff gets hot and it's popping off. Hey, you might be out there, right? So I think people go into it with a different mentality. It's not, hey, I have to get home to my family. It's more so, hey, I'm doing something that I signed up to do. I enlisted, I signed up, and there's a benefit that I'm going to get somewhere along the way, be it college tuition or whatever, that I may not have necessarily been able to get or some government position that I think this is going to prime me to do and put me in a better position. Great. And you do what you got to do to pay your debt or do whatever you want to do for the government. I think cops are very different. Like, you know, I think with, with police officers, it's basically folks who just want to go to the academy to be police officers. There's not a lot of vetting there. You could be part of a white supremacist group. You could be a gang member. <laughs> Nobody really cares. Uh, the issue is, do you have open felonies right now? <laughs> so you don't. Okay, can you read at the basic level, like basic GED level? Yes. Okay, great. You're, you, you know, we're gonna put you through some training, uh, spray you with tear gas, and give you a badge. 
This is what we're out there. And the other thing is, that would almost, I mean, it's a ridiculous way to go about it, right? But at least it would make a little sense if you just treated them like, you know, disposable workers. But I love the fact that mm -hmm. I'm going to train you like a McDonald's fry club, but I am never going to let you get dismissed off those fries. I don't care how much fried juice you get all over the place, how many people you burn up, how much how salty the fries are, how crunchy or raw they come out. I am never going to replace you. Like at least if McDonald's won't train you right, they also will fire you quickly. Absolutely. Right? These people shoot people, whatever. Like, well, you know, we got to keep you. I'm like, you you invested four dollars in them. Why you got to keep them? <laughs> you can't get somebody else who can barely read, really. Yeah, they fulfilling the mission, man. Fulfilling the mission of the, of the department. You know, exactly. And here's the thing I noticed today, and let me ask you this, because Renee and I had this conversation today. We were trying to figure out, my contention is that we have just too many cops. There's not enough violent crime to justify the number of cops we have on the street. And what I mean by that is there's 700,000 cops on the streets. There are about 1.2 million violent crimes or incidents a year. That means that if, if cops call everyone, every cop is only responsible for finding an one and a half violent offender a year. Mm -hmm. What do you do the other 364 days, right? And mm -hmm. the answer is, is that they don't have a lot to do. So they're out trying to figure out crimes, trying to figure out anything because they got to justify this time. So the question I have for you is this. In your neighborhood, have you seen a police car with the lights on going somewhere to for for some emergency call um but in the neighborhood i live in now no maybe you live in now no <laughs> no i want you to think about that because you got cops in your neighborhood i'm sure you do i have them too right they're at the donut shop they're at the whatever the speed trap they've put you know, your city doesn't hire it hires cops right right and yet have you seen any need for them no, not really. I haven't either. In my, 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 I have not seen a cop car in 15 years driving. <laughs> you know, like I said, now, I've seen them at, you know, at scenes of accidents, right, with the lights on. I've seen them, you know, cars pulled over with the lights on, but just, you know, actively going somewhere. I had to move out of their way because they're just going to, you know, remember the, the, the proverbial, you know, the burglar you got to call? I ain't seen right. that yet. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've come to realize is people who are doing well for themselves apparently don't have as many issues with burglary and <laughs> I don't know who knew, right? Like so um you know, we I think we've had like some teenagers that broke into some cars, like little petty stuff. They stole, you know, 20 bucks here or there. Right. We've had that and and of course the occasional vandalism, like the the occasional spray painting or egging of a house. We've had that. But, you know, now th this is a deep contrast because I keep up with the city gr I grew up in, particularly the area of the city I grew up in. And that area has had a shooting every night for the past four nights. Right. Uh, and so but but the issue and the strange thing about it is the police force in that city is much bigger than the police force out where I am now. And they still aren't catching people. So <laughs> It's like, okay, this is classic Durham. Like we we have police here who are employed by the city to do something, but we aren't solving any of the crimes. I think they caught one guy today because he was hiding in the ceiling of somebody who he had terrorized the night before and fell through the ceiling or something. Um but, you know, so just freak accident you know, solves the case. 
But uh, otherwise, you know, we, we don't hear about it. And, and I think one of the concerns is twofold. Like, I think on one hand, um, I agree totally with what you said. I, I did a study on policing in general and policing specifically when you look at things like drug laws. The right. drug laws were always implemented to target or give police an excuse to interact with members of undesirable immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. Right. So it started in California with Chinese immigrants to say that they're doing opium, mm-hmm. opium laws to give police and uh, basically a reason to mess with Chinese people. And what they did was they started harassing Chinese people and they would find other laws that they felt like were broken in that interaction. Right. And that's how they would catch people. And they use that to bolster some real bullshit crime bulletin to say, this is, this is what we've been able to do to reduce crime now that we've implemented these drug laws. So then all they did was say, okay, well, what drug does every non-white group do. So when Mexican immigrants are coming in, it's like, oh, marijuana. So (laughs) use the marijuana. It's all based on crap. And if you tell people that, particularly people who are proud members of the police force, they feel disrespected. I'm not making this up. This is this is this is fact. Um so I I definitely think that everything we have is encouraged and designed to uh initiate those interactions. But I also think the odd thing to me about policing is I've lived in some some pretty violent places. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the places I've lived in, you still don't see police coming in there. They're like, oh, we might really get shot if we go in there. <laughs> That's the thing that's amazing is every time you hear about one of these police shootings, you ever notice how it's never in, 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 in one of the Crips of Blood dens? It is never a five-on-five police shootout, but it's always one brother, you know, hemmed up in in an alley somewhere with four cops, you know, some kid with a backpack on, and as as Cat Williams would say, you know, with you you who on his breath, right? You know, some Mm -hmm. some nice kid. I'm like, you know what? You know, I know where you can find some guns right now, cops. You do too. Mm -hmm. Go on over to Pookie and Ray Ray's. And you go ahead and just go around and knock on the door. See, see, you know, but no, they don't want that. You know, and, and so you're absolutely right. It's like the people who are being victimized, the reason you have police, the police are not dealing with that. They they, right. they, they want that, that smoke there. You know, they, they run around, you know, you know, knocking over some kid with a backpack on. Right, right. For drugs for him. I'm like, you, you know where the drugs are. You can go find them tomorrow. But you, you, you know. You know. <laughs> I mean, the real drugs, right? But you, you know, right. you of, of, of that. You don't want no part of that. Now, partly you're getting payoffs, but the other part is, you know, Ray Ray got something for you. Right. Absolutely. And then, you know, you, so you see that sort of, you know, all, all the time. And look, I'm not saying that all the police are corrupt, but, you know, just 98% of them. But what I am saying is this. <laughs> we got too many and, you know, and also, you know, I, I would like the police to be like the fire department. Mm. The fire department comes when you call them. They never right. break down your door asking about your smoke detectors. They're not trying to, right. you know, <laughs> stop and frisk you for lighters on the street. All right? right. If there's a fire, and guess what? Here's the cool thing is, if there's no fire in a month, nobody expects the police to have put out fires that didn't happen. Nobody right. wants to fill out an arrest or an incident report. But somehow the cops, every day they come in, somebody's going to look at them and say, well, where's your arrest? Well, what happened? What'd you do today? And I wish the cops would just sit their ass in the police station, like the fire department, play cards, do whatever, until we call you. And if we don't call you for a month, good. That's fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I got a good friend of mine who's a, who's a firefighter, and uh, oftentimes I think he's in, he's in Jacksonville, Florida. Shout out to Maya, and he he says, uh, <laughs> yeah, we in beef with the police department all the time because they always coming over here talking about what we need to be doing or whatever. We like no, we go where we're called, <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we got to do, and then we coming back chilling. We don't have these problems. We're not trying to interact with members of the community like that. You know, we're not trying to bother people. Um, and and I think you know it just it's a huge difference in the way that different service jobs like view their job. Right. So you know, he's like, no, I go in, they train me every day on how to deal with fires, how to move people. We got trained on how to lift stuff that's up to four hundred pounds right. and get out under time conditions so that we can be ready when the fire comes. And sure enough, the fire's gonna come, and we got to be able to assess it very quickly. He's like, but other than that. We eating sandwiches. <laughs> we we playing PlayStation, <laughs> and, and that's what I want to do, right? Is, and then that's what I want the cops to do. I want y'all to sit there and play PlayStation until I call you, and right. then I'm popping myself on the side of the road because you think it looks bitchy. You know, here's somebody is that you know, and, and they've got this presumption that they're all detectives. They're supposed to stop crime before it happens. I'm gonna tell you, no. <laughs> and by the way, whose job is that? You know, you know, think about that's a special. You know, you get a promotion to be protective. That's a special cop. That's a smart cop, right? But most of you, you're not trying to. You can't even stop the stuff that's happening when it when it happens, right? Yeah. So I don't need you to be out there trying to be, you know, using your intuition, right? You know, if your intuition was was was, was, was any good, you know, you, you might. I don't know. You might you might have finished twelfth grade, so just you should go ahead <laughs> down and, and literally. It's like you know, if they could just get that in their mind, and we could get, and that's why I think the defunding is important because you're not going to change that mindset. But if you have no money for that, that'll solve that. Absolutely, and and I think you know, crime is always. I tell everybody, crime is a ball of yarn, right? So you can pull that string if you want to, but you'd be surprised who you work for. Who knows what's going on? And they have a hand in this. Uh, and so you might be investigating your own boss who's going to fire you when you start getting warm, right. uh, when you get too warm about what's going on. Because, again, we, the communities that you are policing, you have been brainwashed to believe they're the ones where all of this stuff originates. But we don't have boats. We don't have planes. We don't have any of the stuff that it takes to bring that stuff in. All that stuff is big scale people. This is federal government people, people who had clearances, right? right? And when you start pulling and they find out that their operation is messing up, then that stuff rolls downhill. So <laughs> on both sides, on the legal side. Right, right, right. But that's why they're not going to Pookies, but they're out there, you know, messing with some kid on the corner. And, you know, in all these interactions, you know, it's one thing, you know, if you've been called in these interactions, but, you know, when someone dies in an interaction that the cops started, Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, what is that about? You know, this never would have happened. They're like, well, you should listen. I'm like, if you didn't mess with him in the first place, you have this problem. Right. Absolutely. You know, why does amazing. he have to listen to you? <laughs> exactly. It's amazing that how few people I have to shoot in a year. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it can't be any more than um, none. On the other hand, if I was fucking with every third person that came by, I might have to shoot seven, eight people a, a week. Right, because one or two of them might not like it. You got to assert dominance. Over your employer. I wish I would go into a company, you know, be like my boss. I need to assert dominance in this situation for, for, my, <laughs> for my performance. 
<laughs> go to your boss and be like, do you have name and identification? <laughs> like, uh, who are you, sir? Get on the ground. I told you to give me game name and identification. <laughs> And I want to raise. What, what kind of anyway, we 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 can yell about the cops all night long. Um, it doesn't. You have any um announcements uh, for the people? Uh, so I just want to say, first off, if you haven't already done so, be sure to like us on Facebook. We have a page, brothers in law, B R U T H A S N Law, L A W. Uh, and we put all kinds of cool content on there. So make sure that you share, like, comment. Uh, we often comment back. Uh, also, if uh, you haven't done so already, if you are following us on any uh, platforms, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, whatever, make sure that you are commenting and giving us ratings, preferably 100s or fives or whatever the highest ratings are, so that we can continue our metrics as we uh, are in pursuit of being the best podcast in America. I think we've we've gotten some accolades along the way, but we want to make sure that we're advancing these accolades and it's coming up on December. So this is the time when those things start getting selected. We need you all to promote us and put us up to the top. Uh, as always, if there's any sponsorship uh, opportunities out there, I think we may have run off. Um, did, did we run off Rolex? I don't know if we've talked to Rolex yet, but Rolex, you know, we could definitely benefit from being able to tell the time. And I think that uh, uh, if you wanted to send us a couple you know, watches or just send us the money, we would greatly appreciate that. So uh, if you know any contacts at Rolex, uh, Hennessy, Coke, uh, Aquafina or Deer Park, you know, it doesn't matter. Definitely make sure that uh, you put us in touch with them or you put them in touch with the show. Lastly, on a personal note, I am in the process my book on the Trojan War, my reimagining of the Trojan War through the eyes of the Trojans. Uh, and I anticipate that this is going to be something that will be dropping at the end of October or early November. It is called Iliumatic. And so when you get an opportunity, make sure I'll let everybody know when it comes out, All right. uh, but make sure that you pick that up. It's very good. I've got a focus group that read it and they seem to be uh, in love with it. So uh, it's coming soon, and uh, I think that's it for me. I'm you got anything going on? I just have one personal thing out there I want to give a shout-out uh, to Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, you know what I'm about to say, um, and your mama. All right, I promise you, I was gonna, I'm not going to forget this, Mark. You can kiss my ass, and your mama can kiss it, too. You can get both sides and do a whole family family photo, but you can both kiss my ass, including all of it. All right, shooter, um, and the whole thing. All right, you gonna get because you're not gonna tell me what to do on the internet. I told you. That. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was somebody else besides Mark too. I I was the yeah, I curse out last week. That's too late. I, I, we, we move past that. Um, and I say that to you in, in in love and in Christ. All right, kiss my <laughs> and your mama. That said, everybody, thanks so much. We'll see you next time, and and, and don't let me curse out your mama next week. All right, so be good. <laughs> <laughs> good.